We continue the reading of the Passion of our Lord from Matthew chapter 26. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. O Lord, have mercy on us. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear Christian friends, this evening we're going to continue our journey through the penitential psalms. Last week, seminarian Vanderheide, I saw him out there somewhere, spoke to us about the various perils that await those of us who attempt to hide our sins from God and the blessings that can be found when we choose to cling to him instead where we come to him with all of our sins and we lay them at his feet and we say, Lord, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Our psalm this week speaks of the great afflictions that await us if we don't do this. 
Hear again the beginning words of Psalm 38 that we sang earlier. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sins. When writing on this psalm, Martin Luther said that here David provides us with the most clear picture of the words, actions, and thoughts of a truly penitent heart. Here we see David, a man so racked with guilt over his sins that not only is it afflicting him spiritually, but he is physically afflicted by these sins. He has festering wounds, his back is bowed, there are burning pains throughout his body. He is feeble. He can do little more than crawl on his hands and knees due to the crushing weight of the sins and the guilt that he feels. His strength wanes, and those who are closest to him, his friends and his kin, have abandoned him in this time. He is surrounded on all sides by his enemies who are simply waiting for him to give in to this weakness and lay down and turn all that he had worked for good into evil. A very clear picture indeed. But, is, but if this is the portrayal of a truly repentant heart, why are all of us gathered here not facing similar afflictions? Why are we able to walk upright? Why are we not crawling to our pews and barely managing to stay seated? Why does God not send these arrows of indignation against each of us? Are we not truly repentant? As God alone knows our hearts, he knows whether we are repentant or not. So that can't be it. Are David's sins worse than our own? That can't be the right answer either. For in his letter to the Romans, St. Paul writes that the wages of sin is death, and all have fallen short of the glory of God. So if this is the case, how do we know if we are truly repentant? This is where our children's message comes in. The office of the keys. But more specifically right now, in verse 18 of his psalm, David writes, I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sins. If you took a look at the top of that page in your hymnal, you saw that the office of the keys rests under the section on confession. Now, we are called to confess all of our sins, as we do every Sunday, when one of the pastors will give us absolution in the corporate sense. But more specifically, we are called to confess to the pastor only those sins which we know and feel in our hearts. This is where the office of the keys come in. I will read to you the third question. What do you believe according to these words? We see examples of both God's law and his message of the gospel. Law. I did not read you the answer. My apologies. I believe that when the called ministers of Christ deal with us by his divine command, in particular when they exclude openly unrepentant sinners from the Christian congregation and absolve those who repent of their sins and want to do better, this is just as valid and certain, even in heaven, 
as if Christ, our dear Lord, dealt with us himself. Here we see examples of God's law and his message of the gospel. His law, when the pastor is given the authority to exclude openly unrepentant sinners from the Christian congregation, they are not only locked out of communion with their congregation, they are locked out of heaven until they are repentant. The gospel. The pastor is also given the authority to absolve those who repent of their sins. To bring them back into the fold. To unlock and open again to the repentant the gates of heaven that they might cross through. In Psalm 38, we see similar examples of the law and the gospel. God's arrows of indignation which have sunk into David are the weight of his law. David knew the sins he had committed. He knew the wrong he had done. And he felt the pressure of that law crushing him day by day by day. The gospel for David is slightly harder to find. However, in verse 15 he writes, For you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. And then verses 21 and 22 for his conclusion. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. David lived in a very different worldview than we do now. For him, the promise of the Savior was just that. It was a promise. He didn't have the assurance that Jesus had come. He didn't know that his sins were forgiven. And this is part of what led to his struggle and his affliction. However, he trusted in God. He called out to God who would save him in full faith that as he was repentant, that God would forgive his sins and free him from this guilt. O Lord, my salvation. It is these words that provide us with how we know whether or not we are truly repentant. Jesus, our Savior. The crushing weight, the festering wounds, the bowed back, the internal burnings, the feebleness, the weakness, all of that we are spared from because of Christ, because he took it all upon himself in our place. As we continue through this Lenten season as, and as we continue through our Passion readings on the, during these Wednesday services, Consider these two things. First of all, think back on Psalm 38. Think back on the anguish and the affliction of David, of the vividness with which he describes the pain he feels. And I want you to take all of that, and I want you to place it on Jesus. I want you to consider this reading through the lens of pain, of the pain multiplied by everyone who had ever, has ever lived and who will ever live. On that cross, Christ is bearing all of our sins, every single one of which earns for us nothing but death and eternal damnation, every single one earning us nothing but separation, each one locking us out of heaven.
Doing this can grant us a new perspective of understanding by just what it can mean when we say that Christ takes the sins of the world upon himself. Secondly, when we come to Easter this year, and the Alleluia's once again ring forth from our mouths, I would like you to again think back on Psalm 38. For with the rising of Christ on Easter, he has fulfilled that very thing which he has come to do. Our sins are no more. We are set free from the pain and sorrow that should have bound us. The gates of heaven are open to us as long as we come before the Lord with repentance. Never again can we suffer in the way that David suffered, because Christ suffered the pains for each and every single one of us. This is why Alleluia's will once again be on our lips and in our songs. Hear once more these final verses of Psalm 38. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. The Lord has not forsaken us. He is never far from us. He has come to help us, and he is our salvation. This is God's gift of forgiveness. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.